one thing that I always have to tell my clients, expect six months of men in your house every day because your dampers aren't right. Your hot water is cooler here and it's just expect people to be in your house every day. It just is what it is. Do not get frustrated. Know that everybody's here to help. You've got to understand that we actually put that in our contracts to expect that. And that the, even with our end, there are going to be seams that come apart. There are going to be carpets that curl. they are going to be chairs that the little foot might fall off of. I'm going to take care of it, but it's going to happen. It's not possible to have everything perfect immediately. The clip you just heard is from Tracy Morris. And Tracy Morris has an amazing business in Washington, D.C., And one of the most fascinating things in our conversation was understanding a little bit about her story, how her career started as a designer and how she really sees that opportunity. So much in life and business is opportunities are presented. How do we seize those moments? How do we take advantage of those? How do we build off of those and build a reputation? And she really had some doors open up. She took advantage and now she's expanded her business. She's in Naples. She's in Dallas. How does that look as she runs her business with satellite locations and clientele in these different markets? And why does she choose these areas and how is her company diversified? Tracy just offers so much experience. She does very high-end design. She has a very uh, advanced business and she's done a great job in the industry with an amazing reputation. Reputation's everything and how she's now leveraged social media and marketing to build that brand. So you will definitely enjoy this episode with Tracy and can't thank her enough for making time. So welcome to the AFT Construction Podcast, and I'm Brad Levitt, and today we're honored to host Tracy Morris. Welcome, Tracy. Hey, how are you, Brad? Doing very good, and Tracy is coming at us from Washington, D.C., right? And she's owner of Tracy Morris Design. I am. I'm right outside of D.C., thank goodness, because all of D.C. is closed today. So uh, we've got a lot of of road closures here in D.C. Well, you've had a lot of fun the last couple of weeks, I'm sure, back home. So (laughs) Listen, let me tell you, I would much rather be where you are right now. You know, my wife, uh, she actually worked in DC, uh, in Georgetown for a while and it, it was amazing. Yeah. So, so I don't That's know how I had my office for years. So it it's is such a small world. It is. So she worked for Trammel Crow company. So she worked for Trammel Crow doing real yeah. estate and, yeah. you know, design and marketing. So it's fun, you know, as we've been married, you know, and she, she really engages like with my business because she has a background in it, you know, she understands it. Yeah, that's fantastic. Heck yeah, that's great. So she probably I mean, wasn't they were too far. Right down the street, so it's just such a small world. That's yeah, incredible. Georgetown's an amazing place. I mean, we went there to visit, you know, her work and all her employees and everyone, and went over to there's like a cupcake place nearby, and then it's just a cute little place in Georgetown. So it is right now. It's all boarded up. Is it really? So, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. DC's fenced off. They've got military. It's pretty interesting. It's a it's a, we are living in an interesting time right now. It yeah. is. Well, hopefully we can bring some normalcy to everyone listening. You know, we yeah. definitely don't want to take the political route. That's not, oh, <laughs> that's not the topic no. that we'll be uh, touching today. And not but. even close, my friend. We're going to talk about pretty things and great construction. So yeah, absolutely. And great yes. business. So, so let me ask you this, Tracy. I mean, we're going to get into, I think what fascinates me about your business is when I speak with other builders and other business owners, Right. One of the things you take into consideration is scale. Like, how do I scale my business? How do I get my systems in place? You know, and you have been fortunate where you have an office in Dallas and Naples, DC, we spoke about, which we'll get into that, that part of it. But I guess just from a design business aspect, you know, being a business owner, having remote locations, what have you learned that separates a good design business, you know, from others? 
I really honestly think the trick with this, and I let's see, the business has been 20 years almost now. doesn't seem possible. Um, the trick is just don't move too quickly. Just do not take too much on. Because I know that that feeling, I have a, a really great colleague that I love to death, um, architects here in Virginia as well. And he has spread himself so thin with projects in Coeur d'Alene, projects, you know, all over the country. And to be honest with you, you know, Caribbean islands, those types of things that he's so overwhelmed that he feels like he just can't take on anything correctly. So I think that really is the trick. If you know your lane, I know our lane is construction. I know our lane, um, is larger format homes. And then we help people build from the ground up. But, you know, Brad, I can't only take so many of those on. Right. And you got to know that limit. So, you know, once you start feeling like you're drinking from a fire hose, stop. So, so <laughs> I guess that's, that's, the cha- yeah, that's a challenge. I mean, when you think about scaling there, there's a limit and, and being in business 20 years, you understand the scaling, you understand what it's going to take from, uh, we use the term manpower, but you know, the, the staffing that you need, um, you know, and, and what you can handle as a designer and owner with, with your team. So how do you manage? Because the fine line is, well, I need to grow my business. I need the revenue. I have overhead. I have, you know, I, I, I have to make payment right on payroll, like every two right. weeks that's coming fast. So yes. cash on hands important. So how have you maybe refined? Yes, we can take this job or we're not ready. We're at capacity. So we're dealing with that right now. As you know, you've seen with this, um, we have we been so blessed being able to be considered essential employees, helping people stay in their homes, build their homes, create more spaces these days. I think the trick for us has been, I know I can only take on four major projects. And when I say, you know, major for us is between say 10 and 20,000 square feet. So that's a really big for us. Mm-hmm. And those I pick everything soup to nuts every hinge, you know, so that level of project, I can only take on four a year because those last three years, those are three-year projects. But then we also have the smaller projects. We'll take on a living room. We'll take on, um, say, a first floor of somebody's house, and that will keep the payroll coming in because those smaller projects are honestly what keep month to month going. So I know if we've got, um, right now we have about 25 clients and I have five big dogs and we're getting rid of one of the, one of those is closing and we're furnishing them and moving them in. Um, but a lot of them, the majority of them are smaller projects and that keeps the money coming in the door. So that's always been my trick is 75% smaller, 25% big. You know, I love that ratio and I'm going to dive into that here in just a second, but I think going back to your, you know, the large format, the large scale projects, I, what, what's really difficult is you and I have been doing this long enough where we understand the ebbs and flows and recessions right. come. We lived through a big one 10, 12 years ago. Ooh, um, yeah. you, you know, so how, where's that comfort level where, you know, capacity is four, maybe five, you know, but if you have two that are coming to you, Tracy saying, Tracy, we got to have you. Yep. How do you navigate that communication for a client that's excited, they want to start tomorrow. And you say, I, I would love to do it, but I may be six months out. I may be eight months. I mean, how do you navigate that communication? A lot of that, that's communication happens. I let them, I'm 100% beyond 
an over communicator in those instances. So I will tell them, listen, this is where I am. Um, and, but the trick is if I know that it's a really great fit and the client is just the perfect fit for us, we will, I will make sure that we start with their selections. So for example, if we've got, uh, typically I come in at the architect architecture phase, I will help the clients narrow down the plans, figure out where their grandmother's sideboard's going to be or their brother's piece of art, you know, those types of things with the architect. Um, but those types of things can happen. I can easily do one, two, three meetings in a month if it's a larger project. Because in the beginning, it's really heavy handed with the architect. So the designer is not really handling a lot of that. So that already in my mind, I already know I have three, three extra months. So then when I know we're going to have to hit hard on the selections, um, then I will, I'll say to them, okay, we're going to communicate two or three times a month for these three months. And then we're going to, you know, hit the ground running, uh, say, you know, in June or July, that type of thing. And that helps the client understand what their process is going to be and what they should be expecting. Because if we can manage expectations, then everybody's happy. And it's, we try. Yeah, we try. I think we do too. And, yeah. and that's the hardest thing is managing expectations, especially I'm sure from your side too. I mean, it, you know, even from a designer side, you're not pricing the house, you're not pricing the finishes yeah. and everything, but they're changing. Prices are escalating for certain reasons, you know, even finished yeah. costs, you know, rough costs, hard costs. Yeah. Um, so that that's a tough thing where you're trying to navigate, meet the expectations of cost, you meet the expectation of timeline and where maybe some of the professionals from the engineering and architecture side maybe having challenges the municipalities are having challenges getting permits approved and so you're trying to navigate all this and set that at clear expectation absolutely and to speak to that with the architects uh and the builders i would come and sit down with you and say hey brad listen we're gonna do roll fixtures here we're gonna do newport brass here and i already work out all the allowances with the builder ahead of time so that when we sit down I already know what that client wants because I've already done their interview. So we sit down, we talk through, we go through pictures, and then I sit down with the builder and we go through the allowances. So when that price, that estimate is set, we're pretty close. I mean, they switch things, of course, in and out in a custom build. Right. It's going to be that way. Yeah. But I think it's imperative to sit down with the builder and have that conversation and know exactly what we're going to put where. See, and I think that's really educational for the builder, for the designer, for the client. Uh, you know, I, I feel like I'm not leading this charge by any means, but this is something I'm passionate about, you know, that yeah. when our clients understand the value of, we have our architect, we have Tracy on board, we have AFT on board or whoever the designer and builder team is, there's so much synergy and there's so much information that we can digest. Yes. We can work as a team, we can work on allowances. So that way, at, when we present that price at some point, we're trying to eliminate that sticker shock, right? Going back to you setting exactly. expectations, as you mentioned. Exactly. And it, yes. and it's so tough to do that, but I, but there's advantage. If we're sitting down, you and I, Tracy, and we're like, okay, well, let's really dive deep into what's our kitchen hood allowance, right? What's our door hardware? You know, what kind mm -hmm. of tile? And as you mentioned, plumbing fixtures, are we doing new per press? Okay, we have costs do change a little bit, but with that, it's a little bit more fixed. So we have a good idea of how to set those budgets. Yeah, I think it's important also to really go through with the client and they'll use keywords. For me, it's um, if I hear a lot of retail, if they, um, you know, oh, well, we just bought that at Restoration Hardware, we bought this at Crate and Barrel, I'm going to know that we're doing a signature hardware 
or a lower end Kohler, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's all of those keywords. If I'm hearing that a client has, you know, bought this piece of art here or something like this, we're dealing with a totally different thing. And, uh, but there's a budget with everyone. It doesn't, I don't care what anybody doesn't matter. says. Yeah. Somebody could be building the grandest home in the world. There's always a budget and there's always sticking points with every client, whether they don't want to purchase lamps. They think lamps are ridiculously overpriced. And they don't want them. You know, we've got to figure out all of those kinds of things to work around, but it's my job to know what is going to be the bang, biggest bang for their buck. If they're chefs and they're, they're kitchen people, then I know I've got to find them the best hood that's going to suck out all the, yeah, the all the cooking they're, they're doing they're yeah. cooking on, a, on an evening, you know, um, all those types of things and, and uh, the best heat. And so that's what we work on. And then maybe in the basement, we go a little bit, you know, the, the allowances are a little bit lower, but there is a fine balance with, with building a really beautiful home and making sure that there's lots of beautiful pop, but it doesn't have to be everything. Yeah, there, there's a true talent there, not just a talent, but I think listening and going back to your expectations, you know, understanding what the client's needs, their lifestyle, how they're going to perform and, you know, use the home. You're going to lay that out. And, and you mentioned something when you're when you have a good client and you're vetting them out and you mentioned that this is a client we want because they fit, you know, our mantra, they fit our style or they fit our personality. So over the years, I'm sure this has become refined. So how do you vet a client, whether they're coming from out of state or you know them locally? I mean, how is that process and how have you learned to identify certain things without throwing any clients under the bus, but certain things that may help you realize this is not a fit for me? I do not ever want to, my famous phrase is I don't ever want to overpromise and underdeliver to a client. So as a result of my, that is my true mantra. I don't want to overpromise and underdeliver. So with that, if somebody has a truly, in my mind, unrealistic time frame, if somebody says to me, you know what, Trace, we're going to build a new house and I need it done in six months, it's not possible. I just, I'm so sorry. It's not what we build. I cannot do that. I cannot expect my, my builders to do that. Other red flags for me are, oh, I fired my previous designer. Yeah. <laughs> Big red flag. You know, okay. Well, if that is the case, can you tell, help me understand why? You know, what happened? Um, was it a communication issue? Um, was it just a stylistic thing or did it just not work? So that's a big one. Uh, I fired, fired my designer. Um, another one is, oh, well, you know, we are almost there with our budget, but we're not quite there yet, but I want you to get started. Mm -mm. Mm -hmm. Just hold off, give yourself a year, um, take all the time you need. You have to mentally be, as a homeowner, so comfortable with knowing that you're going to be building this and spending 20 to 30% more than you planned. Mm -hmm. And then you can get started. But other than that, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't recommend getting started if you don't feel comfortable with your budget. So those are some really big red flags for me. I love that. And I was taking some notes because what's interesting is you pointed out a few things that I think are very common in my industry. One is schedule, right? So yes. whether they're letting you know first off their expectation on schedule or they're dictating, you know, or we're trying to figure out what that schedule is, that's going to be a key because we've been doing this long enough. We know what it's going to take for the size and scale of these homes. Mm -hmm. um, so schedule is really important to ask those questions because I think a lot of young business owners want to understand how do you vet a client? 
Um, the second thing, which I love, and I will share a quick experience on early in my career. So you said when they fired their previous designer. Yes. So, so I had a client out of state, and this was the worst experience I've ever had building. And it's it, and I take a lot of fault, but it's really helped define my career. So early on, you know, just started my firm, and a client was referred to us um, by one of my trade partners. And she says, you know, come to find out she had fired her architect. She fired her designer. Yeah. Um, she wanted oh, yeah. us to do the remodel without a permit. You know, all these things that are like red flag, red flag, red flag. Red flag. Red flag. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, I'm like, well, the permit is something we really can't work around. But yeah, you fired your designer, builder or architect, whatever, you know, and then it, it was painful. And, it, you know, where someone's looking to be very litigious, you know, had I had known, you know, to look for some of these red flags. And, and again, as a client that's very demanding but yet very indecisive and there's no yeah. designer, there's no architect to lean on and get answers and it's difficult. And then budget is so key. Um, you know, if they are unrealistic about their budget, you know, if they have these Pinterest or house pictures and they are not realistic on what that's going to cost and it puts you in a really tough spot. It does. And there, we do, we don't take, doesn't have to be a multi-million dollar project. I love helping everybody. And I think that's so much fun. Um, I started out my company doing color consultations because that's my specialty. Uh, and those color consultations led to, why don't you do my basement? You know, this, that, and the other. So that has always been fun, especially when you can just bring such joy to somebody with such small changes. That's such a blast. But when you've got somebody that has been dreaming about this house for years and I can, I watch the husband all the time and I see the husband and he looks at me and just goes, oh. <laughs> you know, so that's always a thing. And, uh, I, I always, I'll set them aside, you know, step aside and say, listen, I think you need to wait six months. I think you need to give this a year, just breathe a minute and let me know what you think when you come back around. Cause there's nothing worse than, uh, stressing yourself out over something you don't need to stress out over. So that's a big one. <laughs> the budget's a big one. It is. And you mentioned, I think, number four, because you talked about schedule, you know, their previous yeah. relationships and then budget. But number four, you just mentioned communication. How yeah. does the client communicate to you? How do they communicate to each other, to your trade partners? I mean, it was funny. There was a job. And having gone through that really bad experience, you know, I learned a lot. So fast forward two years, you know, I'm with a client who's vetting us, you know, as their builder, they're building this home. He's a lawyer which is fine. He and his wife are on the phone and he starts yelling at his wife, like with me on the oh. phone. And I was like, I'm out. Like I learned <laughs> enough. I'm like, if he's first time meeting him, you know, and he's going to have this tone. I'm like, I, I don't think this is a good fit because I don't want to be that on the reciprocal on, on the other side of that. Right. Exactly. And the other that you mentioning the litigious side of things, if I have heard, Oh, well, we went to build this house, but we had to sue for the, and I thought, oh no, <laughs> I hear the word sue once, I'm done. Yeah. <laughs> I'm over. Because it's just, it's tough. It should be a pleasant process. It really, really should. I know it's stressful. The budget can be stressful. The process can be stressful. But overall, again, you're building this incredible home. Like it should be such a joyous experience and so much fun. But when I hear stuff like that, forget it. Yeah. So. It, it's, it's, it's a big one. I mean, that's, so it's important as you're a young business owner to start looking for those four key things. And yeah. I love, you know, diverse, the way we diversify ourselves and our companies is important, right? You still have to be specialized in our scope of work because that's what separates us and that's what creates systems and helps us to be on the right side of the ledger. But at the same time, 
as you mentioned, you have this 25-75 ratio. Well, yes. you know, these big projects are phenomenal. You know, those are ones that you chase because they're fun for the portfolio and they're fun oh, for course. the challenge that's involved. But the reality is you still have to have that month to month. And that's where that 75% fills in. And I think that's very valuable because you may not, and, and it also expands your customer base because depending on the economy, not everyone may be building a 10 to 20,000 square foot home. So you have to be able to showcase that, yes, we can still design for a living room and we can still do a kitchen because now it still gives you that that lead generation. Well, that's the important part. I mean, as a, as a business owner, um, it's super important. You've got to have that revenue coming in on a regular basis consistently. And I had learned in the beginning with these really big projects, we make our money on furniture. Let's get down to brass tacks. Mm -hmm. We make our money on the actual materials and we are an unusual sort of set of designers because we do order all of our materials for our clients typically, because when it gets to be 20,000 square feet, the builder is so overwhelmed. So we do the spreadsheet, we put it all together. Um, typically I'll place the order and then help the builder with that because it just gets to be too much. Um, but if you don't have the money from those materials coming in and all you're making is money on time, it can be a lot of time, but those large homes, that is, you are not ordering furniture for at least a year. So you better know that if you've taken on four of those, you have no capital to work with. Yeah. Yeah, in the beginning. Yeah. Absolutely. And that's the biggest thing. And so you have to figure out, I mean, and it's a little complex too, because when you're doing all the furniture, I mean, you have to figure out um, storage and handling and shipping and install, right? You have to have your own install crew who's going to install yeah. it on, hang my mirrors and hang my artwork and the gallery walls. I mean- so there's a lot that you're managing too outside of just a design process. Oh, absolutely. And because I, my background is construction and we have done this my whole life, um, it's so funny thinking about, I've got the guys, again, like you said, we have our whole installation crew. And then with that, there's five to six days after that, like you just explained, wallpaper hanging. There is all of the, I've got the separate art and mirror people and all of this is such a process and such an orchestration. It's kind of like planning a really crazy big event or wedding. That's the only way I can it describe is. it. It's just like a wedding. I love that analogy. Yeah. Think about it. It's like a big wedding because you have all this hype and all the furniture goes in and then, you know, oh, I don't know if I like it. You know, all of those types of emotions. And I tell everybody, and this is definitely for the new young designers out there, make sure you give your clients a, a small order that says you may not call me for at least two weeks when your stuff has been put in because you need to take a minute, get used to the furniture, the paint, the wallpaper, whatever it is that's been put in place and just breathe a minute because you're not used to it and it may feel weird. We'll always take care of it, but at the same time, give yourself a minute and just have the client sit with that, all of those new things and not call you right away and say, I've got to have this changed out. No, just take a minute and let it, let it all sink in. That's phenomenal advice. Cause I was just going to ask, you, you know, it, it's a very uh, strenuous process. And I want to talk to designers and they're like, Brad, I'm on an install. <laughs> oh. I know that, you know, for three or four days, they're going to be incommunicado, right? I'm not going to be able to talk yeah. to them. They're going to be buried. It's very overwhelming. They're not going to have their phone on them because they're physically going through and directing and installing and everything. It's very, it's a very complex process. So I was going to ask, you know, what, what have you learned through that process and refined 
And you, and you mentioned that going back to your expectations that telling the client live in it, wear and tear a little bit, give us yeah. two weeks because everything's new. Everything's in a different place. You're coming from your existing right. residence and now this, and it's totally different. Right. And the other thing that I can tell um, young designers that I learned um, probably about four or five years ago um, when we started doing the, the really big houses, I got each of the ladies on my team a backpack and it's our installation backpack. It has a screwdriver, a paintbrush, um, fit felt pads for underneath chairs. So anything you're going to need for an installation. And then each one of them has from their backpack, they pull out a fanny pack that holds their phone, a measuring tape, scissors, um, a box cutter, all of those kinds of things. So that's on them at all times, because if you've got a 20,000 square foot house and you forgot your backpack in the family room and you're working on the other side in the master bedroom, what a waste of time. Put it all on you and just be able to get your job done. That's phenomenal. I mean, it's that yeah. efficiency side of things, you know, I, yes. instead of having them try to ch uh, truck around a big tool belt, it's like, well, the fanny pack backpack works perfect. Then they have those essentials, maybe a black Sharpie or something to, you know, fill exactly. in, which we sometimes need. Yep. We've got all that stuff and food. We have yeah. food in there. Too. Some snacks too. So you got, you're going to get hungry. So we have to have <laughs> those things in there too. That's that was all my husband's idea, actually, because he uh, he's in he's a crazy efficiency master. So he uh, he came up with that one. And is he involved in the business at all? He's not. He actually owns um, another. He's an entrepreneur himself and owns a company called Core Performance. They make um, freezable, wearable water bottles for um, military, law enforcement, and the service industry. So, well, that's but, amazing. Well, it's probably fun. I mean, even though you're not in the same industry, you know, as business owners, you know. And, oh yeah. And working, it's I'm sure there's ideas you can bounce off to refine that process. And couldn't imagine not having him. Oh my gosh, he helps me so much. So, but that backpack idea was his. And if any designer out there, architect, whoever has a install, get yourself a backpack, put your logo on it, whatever you want to do, and wear that thing, and you've got everything you need. This episode is brought to you by Sub Zero Wolf and Cove. For over 75 years, Sub Zero Wolf and Cove has specialized in refrigeration cooking and dishwashing that can be found in some of the world's most luxurious homes at aft construction we look forward to crafting our clients dream kitchen when building the home of their dreams to get this process started we locate the nearest showroom and set up an appointment it's that easy since sub-zero wolf and cove specializes in three major categories we can make all of our kitchen selections in one stop the first one is that sub-zero handles refrigeration they are the preservation specialist key features included fresher longer dual refrigeration advanced air purification, precise temperature control, customized modular design. This ensures tastier, healthier food and eliminates waste so that the food stays fresher longer. Second is that Wolf is the cooking specialist. Key features include precise heat control, predictable, consistent temperature, intuitive controls, and easy to use technology. Everything is designed with you in mind. These features enhance flavors of food, ensure consistency, and eliminates guesswork. Delicious results every time. And last but not least is Cove, the cleaning specialist. Key features include precise water flow, superior drying conditions, fully adjustable interior for every need, and so quiet it never interrupts. Not only are all products functional and reliable, they look great, truly built to last. To schedule an appointment at your nearest Sub-Zero Wolf & Cove showroom, visit subzero-wolf.com backslash showroom or click the link in our show notes below. So we, one thing that we do on our side is, so I, I've spoken about this on our YouTube channel. We do what's called a super walk, um, or like a team walk, like an AFT construction yeah. team walk. And so I've seen 
this. It's cool. Yeah. So what happens is as you get to the end of a project, as we all know, you know, my super becomes snow blind and, and, you know, they end up, you're walking the house for a year, a year and a half, and yeah. you could walk over the same thing and you just don't see it because you've been there and, 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 and it's nice to have another set of eyes. So what we do is it's a great team building, but it's also very efficient. So we come out, um, when there's probably about four to five weeks left in that QC process as we're closing home. So we come out with thir- all 13 of our team members at here at AFT and we'll tag the house. And so the superintendents describe, and sometimes they say, it's not that it's humiliating, but they feel like, you know, cause we're taping the house, we're punching of things. Course, like, there's blue, it looks like a blue explosion. It's a blue right? explosion. Yeah. Blue and green tape explosion. Um, yeah. but the advantage is, is, you know, that's a process where now we have another set of eyes we're going through and, and what I've noticed is my supers, I mean, they'll have the little tool belt on and they'll have their tape measure, the other black Sharpie, they'll have their tape, you know, different color tapes because they have different meanings. And it's very efficient, you know, where instead of trying to share tape, everyone has their own and it makes it more efficient going back to your backpack idea. But it's just another way where we've refined that process to help get to the end result that we're achieving. That's fantastic. What a great idea. I was just walking a job site with my um, super on our, one of our larger jobs and he, um, there's a shoe on the end of our baluster and he looks at me. I said, David, the shoe's wrong. I mean, we're talking banisters for days, right? And he looks at me and he goes, what do you mean? I said, it's supposed to be round. We got square. He goes, oh my God. You know, it's all those <laughs> types of, he's, he's on the job all yeah. day long. He didn't see it. So, um, poor thing. All of them had to get cut and we had to pull them all out and they're replacing it with the round shoe. But you're a hundred percent right. You get so engrossed in what you're doing on a daily basis that you lose that ability to detail because you're just making sure that the dumpster gets dumped and the, you know, everything gets done on a construction site. And that's, that's the hardest part because the, the fine line is, you know, we're trying to drive the schedule, right? You're, you're trying to schedule the paver guys and the brick guys, and you're trying to get everyone out there without, you know, the quality is really important in that flow of construction. And, you know, even if we tell our superintendents, you got to know your project, you got to have an understanding, right. memorize a design book. I mean, we live and die by the design book. Architectural plans are important, but, you know, especially as you get past frame stage, we oh. live and die by the design book. But there's so much detail, as you mentioned. So it's easy for a super to overlook that if, you know, as, as yeah. with everything else going on in the home. Oh, my gosh. Yes. I mean, that's why it's imperative for us. Each client, or ha- client has a binder. And I know. Um, I've talked to so many people about how the design industry can be automated. And as folks have realized, no, it can't. There are certain portions of it that can be, but so much of what we do is so hands-on, it's impossible. So we still have binders. And every time we do an installation, we have an install binder. It has a clipping of the fabric. It has a picture. So, and all of our floor plans, exactly where things are going, because not everybody who designed that room is going to be able to be in it to know exactly what goes where. So we give a copy, a paper copy of that to our design install team, our movers. And they're so fortunate that they are so grateful for it. They're so sweet. And we slap up things on the wall that say living room or what we've called it. So they know where they're going. So the install process is a little bit easier, but we do our best to try and get it all done, but nothing's ever perfect. It's never perfect. No. And, and you can streamline, as you mentioned, the best you can. And so what's your background, Tracy? I mean, you, you know, for, to have the successful firm you have now, you know, despite the locations where you work, um, what was your training to understand how to bid and price, you know, your wages for a remodel as opposed to a custom home? 
and the furnishing side, you know, whether it be margin or markup or, you know, design fees and how you open up your database and manufacturers you're working with and suppliers, you know, how has that evolved and, and how did you learn those skills? It was all trial and error, my friend. <laughs> oh my gosh. I am not what you would call the typical designer because I grew up, my aunt and uncle um, flipped houses in Baltimore in the 80s before flipping was flipping. So I would scrub aggregate, stain floors, hang cabinets, you know, do all of those kinds of things as a very small child. I loved it. It was always in my blood. But my mother did not want me to be an interior designer. She said, you'll never make any money. You know, I don't want you to have to go out on your own, you know, the whole thing. So I had to hide the fact that I was studying interior design in school. My father knew, my mother didn't. <laughs> so I know. So um, I actually have a business communication degree, and then I have a three-quarter degree in design because I cut out all the commercial classes. I knew I wasn't going to be a commercial designer. Mm-hmm. So I got out of school. I started planning events. I worked for a the dot com when that was a big thing. And everybody in the office kept asking me to come do their house. To me, it made no sense. I was like, why are you asking me to do your house? But okay, I'll come over. So I started picking, selecting colors and hanging pictures for $25 an hour at 22 years old. And that's how I started. And I had no clue what I was doing. So I learned from guys like you. That's amazing. You would tell me you know, how to bid something, how, I mean, they don't teach you that in design school. They don't even teach you how to measure a drape in design school. So um, none of that is taught, but it was a hundred percent self-taught, with really, really great architects and builders like yourself that really pulled me along. And it's been 20 years. So when did you feel that you hit that tipping point? Because, you know, starting out here, you are $25 an hour doing paint, doing art, you know, and, and then all of a sudden now you're doing some of the upper scale projects throughout the country. So where did you find that tipping point where you're like, yes, I know my wheelhouse. I know my strength and I know how to market, you know, my talents. Just as you mentioned that you had that, a really eye opening experience, if you will, with that particular client that you learned a lot from, that was a bad experience for you. I had the opposite in one aspect. Um, I was hired by um, this amazing woman. She was Swiss and uh, she, for whatever reason, thought that I was going to be the best fit for her. Here I was, hardly any experience, 27 years old. She picks me up. She moves me down to Florida. So I worked on three homes for her in Florida. She takes me over to Switzerland with her. We work on our home there. And I am telling you, that was the best design school. She had the most extraordinary taste, the most extraordinary antiques, artwork that you could ever imagine. And I spent three years with her and I lived with her. Um, I lived in the home we were working on. Um, Originally, this is such a crazy story. Originally, she had purchased a home and the house was needing to be remodeled. Brad, I had no idea what I was doing. I mean, zero. I hired, and I was in a completely different town. I hired every subcontractor. I managed the entire construction project, 27 years old. I had a blast. And then she ended up not building, wanting to build that house. And she bought a house across the street. And then I had to finish the construction on that one. But imagine 27 years old, the house was 17,000 square feet. I had no, I didn't even have a fabric account. (laughs) Not one. So you want to talk fake it till you make it. Yeah. That's exactly what it was. And um, she was so patient and so kind. And I thank her every day for all the amazing opportunities and experience she gave me. But that was really my tipping or turning point 
knowing that, you know what? I got this. I can do it. So it's amazing. You think about that story and just the mentorship, I mean, and, and her willingness to take a risk on you. But what do you think yeah. she saw? I mean, why was she willing to do that with you, Tracy, where you didn't have that portfolio yet, you know, to do that scale? I mean, it's not like you're a general contractor and here you are running this. I mean, how how did you meet her? And I, I guess what, what do you think made her take that leap? So she was a friend of a friend and I met her a couple of times and I'm going to be totally honest. She called me the fat Virginia girl. She's like, I'm not hiring that fat Virginia girl. Hysterical, right? I actually, I really should finish the book. I have about 20 or 30 pages of this book started because it was, it's just such an insane yeah, story. It's so crazy. The whole thing. She said, I'm not hiring that fat Virginia girl. And um, obviously, you know, life has changed, but uh, I, I thought, okay, I'm going to let her come to me. I'm a really, really big believer in intuition. I'm a big believer in signs. And I remember, you know, thinking to myself, just sit back, just sit back. We'll see how this goes. And ironically enough, she was a friend of a friend and I was with that friend and we were in a fabric store and she happened to be there. I mean, we're talking like it was such serendipity. It was crazy. And she comes up to me and she says, okay, can you figure out some fabrics to go with this? And I said, sure, I'm putting it all together. I'm telling her this blue linen should be with this, you know, the whole thing. And she looks at me and says, will you come to Florida with me to work on my house? And I later asked her why. And she said, there was such a purity in your ability to be able to select things. You hadn't been tarnished yet. And I thought, interesting. So mm. she really wanted that pure, non-bitter, I guess you could say, um, just, I guess it was a pureness of innocence to me. And that's why she hired me. And it was it was really an amazing opportunity and such a fun project. That's incredible. So, you know, from yeah. there, you know, what made you, I guess, is that the reason you open up uh, an office in Naples? Yes. So I actually, um, I have a really great, architect friend that's in Naples. And we do not technically, I don't want to make it sound like we do. We work, we do a lot of work in Naples. So we've got a satellite, you know, location that we can pick and choose and do all those sorts of things from. But yes, my husband is from, he lived in Dallas. So I've got a lot of clients that are in Dallas. And then I have a lot of clients that are in Naples. But the irony of it is, she wasn't in Naples. She was in Boca. So oh. we, um, yeah. So I also, but I just, Naples, we spent enough time there um, vacationing or with family and friends that the word got out and I've started doing a lot of work down there too. So between Dallas, Naples, and DC, it's managed, but you know, it's crazy. That is busy. So do you actually have physical brick and mortar offices in those locations no. or is your home base there in DC? No, home base is in DC. And then I, I will go, my offices are to go sit in with my friends that are architects mm -hmm. and I will work out of their offices, but we bring everything from DC to those locations. So that's how that's managed. Brick and mortar would be way too much for me. I couldn't handle that. Yeah, that's a lot because then you become a little bit more the people managing business and the design business. Exactly. So this is more um, satellites being able to handle, say, three or four projects in each location at a time. And but those, those are the spots that I really like to specialize in. Yeah, and those are great cities in the country. I, you know, a lot of opportunity in Naples and Dallas, of course, a lot of growth, you know, beautiful projects in all those areas. You know, where else have you worked, you know, and done projects throughout the country? Well, my husband wants to move where you are. Oh, really? So to Arizona? 
Oh, he's a big Arizona fan. We're actually in Scottsdale um, and Phoenix a lot. So the next time I'm there, I'm coming to see you. Yeah, you have to. Um, in person. But um, no, I've done a couple houses on Scottsdale, San Diego, um, the Hamptons, New York, North Carolina. Um, we actually had three homes on Puerto Rico, which oh, was wow. a lot of fun too. That was a blast trying to figure out how to get stuck to a true island. That that was a challenge. Um, but we've worked in a lot of different states all over the country. And then, of course, I worked in Switzerland. So that was a lot of fun. Which is fun, a little international there with Puerto yes. Rico and, and Switzerland. Yeah. So, you know, going back to the business side of things, uh, you, you know, how have you learned, I guess, I, I would imagine doing the construction enhance your education there, which now helps with design because you understand the other side of it, what the contractor is dealing with because you dealt with that yourself. You yeah. know, so how you know, how have you refined, I guess, the financial side, understanding your cost to do business, you know, your, whether it be hourly rate or square foot cost, because doing these large homes, as you mentioned, they take a lot of time and that clock can continue to tick, you know? So how have you refined that process or job costing over the years? The larger projects, again, as I mentioned before, I have to, I space it out by quarters, three, you know, three month periods of time, in the beginning, the majority of it is going to be uh, time. I charge by the hour and I also, you know, charge each one of my ladies out by the hour as well. I work on retainer because that has been much easier for me to do. And I feel it's a little bit more palatable for clients to be able to swallow the costs if they know what they have paid up front. So I know a lot of designers that, that bill at the end of the month and it's a lot like a lawyer. And it gives people just a lot of anxiety. They are, every time they're opening that bill at the end of the month, you know, they're, What's... and I don't want to have that. Mm -hmm. So what we do is we bill on retainer and we receive that retainer. And then my, our clients get a statement of exactly what the hours that were used for that month. And then they get a balance as to what they have left. Now, let me and ask you we... a question with that, if you don't mind. So. No. You know, one thing I've noticed is, you know, how descriptive are you? Because I've seen designers do a lot of different ways. And, and I've worked with a lot where some are hourly, some are square foot, some are retainer. And, you know, I, I find that the more information you give, if you said, hey, I'm looking at a paint color, you know, for one hour, or choose a grout color, they may like, it took you one hour to find a paint color and it's $175, you know, you get yes. that. So how have you refined, you know, the statement of hours and maybe the description where it is a little more palatable for, for the client as they look at that. Well, I, I also like to be super upfront. We are not the least expensive designers in the area. So um, I am super upfront with what our hourly rates are, um, you know, and uh, what the ladies' hourly rates are. And if that doesn't work with you off the bat, then I'm not the right fit. I don't want this to turn into you us arguing about, oh my mm -hmm. gosh, why did you bring another designer with you? I don't want to have to pay for both of you. You know, that whole thing. I am definitely not the right fit because we hit the ground running hard. And when we go into a project, I don't want to waste your time or your money. So we want to do it quickly and as efficiently as possible. And I do that with my team. So I know for myself, we charge by the hour, but also we do a markup on furniture. So we're hourly for our, our time, and then we do a markup on our furniture, and our markup is 30%. So everybody has a different percentage that they prefer um, to, to utilize. And I have some designers that do not charge a markup for furniture, 
and they charge a much higher hourly rate. So Mm -hmm. there's lots of different ways people do it. But I know for me, managing cash flow, that has been the best way to do it. I love that strategy. And it's funny because I had a client later who was a lawyer, a great guy. And it was funny because even as he would push back on certain things, you know, at the end of the day, he said, you know, Brad, it's funny because I, from my side, I have clients that push on me on my hourly rate as a lawyer, right? They push back. And I find that, you know, the more a client pushes back, like (laughs) I spend more time working through invoices and accounting. It's like, I'm not doing what I do best, which is fighting their legal battle, you know? And so maybe I've had a failure and breakdown of expectations, like letting the client know upfront my hourly rate and what that entails. And you know what it's because you know going back to the the pain example well it may have taken you two hours i don't know maybe it only took you an hour but but it's not like you're just looking at some paint samples i mean there's a lot that goes into it and maybe you're painting a sample on your wall or having your painter do it, and then you're checking with the finishes and furnishings like it's a very complex issue and sometimes going back to what you made the comment you made earlier in the discussion was expectations setting those the customers can a little bit understand more your value it is, and um, we are pretty detailed in our explanations of the hours, but at the same time, I make sure, Brad, to take my clients with me to smaller things. So for example, I'm gonna, ta- I'm gonna take them, not all the time, but just if it's somebody that has, there's a bit of friction with the hours, I'm taking them with me to the carpet store. And they see exactly what goes into it and how many emails we're answering afterwards about, did that sample get to them? And, oh, wait, but we need this sample too. And that particular mill, this one is out of stock. So we have to swap it out with this. There is a lot that goes into this. And I have a drawing um, on Maha's wall, one of the ladies in my office, and it's a picture of a horse. And it's a perfectly drawn, you know, tail and sinuous muscle and leg, sort of the back part of the horse. And then the front part of the horse is a stick drawing. And it says, when a client asks me to do it cheaper. Yeah, <laughs> I've seen that. It's my favorite. I can't do it less expensive. If you want it, beautiful. There is a way to balance that out. But at the same time, please don't ask me to do that because you are going to cut me off at the knees and you are not going to get the creativity and the, the end result that you're looking for. Well, I love the example you gave about that it, it's a smaller task, right? We know how complex your job is as a d- designer. You know, I, I respect our designers so much because I know what you do. You know, the decision-making and the time that goes behind it, you know, I've seen that firsthand, but a client may not have. And so taking right. them on a small excursion where they yes. see the pain, blood, and tears that go into maybe the carpet, which is such a minor element to the home. And yep. then they say, oh, I get it now. Oh, I got it now. Oh, I'm not going to bother you on that anymore. Okay, thanks. I'm like, that's... But then that we get in the car and they're like, wow, that was pretty involved. And I said, look at your watch. And they're like, oh, that took an hour and a half. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. And it's still not <laughs> yeah. done. And we still have and emails, as you mentioned. There's other, choice. yeah, right. there's, there's a lot more than we got to put in the document drawings and the CDs and everything else that we're doing. Right. And, and so I, I, I love that because for me, when you look at a company, your business strategy, well, who are you marketing to? And, and you know, your demographic that you're marketing to. And, and there's advantages to that. If you know that working with someone who's a second time home buyer or second time home builder, not, you know, this is their second home as a lieu, in lieu of their first, you know, right. that experience is going to be a little bit better because they've been through it. They understand the challenges, the pitfalls and, and so, or maybe a client that has out of state properties. And so you really understand your dynamic and that's who you're catering and targeting to. Right. And I will tell your listeners, it's so interesting I, you know, I think I know that demographic. I've got it down so well, right? 
Um, we've set those things on Instagram and got the whole thing done. And I am telling you that sometimes how I get clients and who comes to me, I'm still blown away. And I think, you know, all right, God, what's going on here? You know, because I've never even talked to that person or, you know, I haven't seen that person in 12 years. Like, how did they remember me? You know, it's just never give up hope as to where you think you're going to set those uh, demographic boundaries. But at the same time, don't be so linear in your thinking that you don't leave room to have other things come in. It's funny you say that. You think about, you know, the networking part of it, which you're alluding to, right? People that you meet at different functions or events or maybe coworkers of the past, Tracy. And, you know, I look at it this way. I mean, now as I'm aging, right? And I see, well, a lot of my friends that I was in college with or played sports with at a younger age, well, now they're nestled in their careers and they're at a point where some of them have been very blessed financially and have done really well. And cultivating those relationships early on pays off now when I'm a known entity, they know me and it's like, okay, Brad, we're at a point in our life where we're ready to build a home or we're ready to do this project. And now it puts us in an opportunity because you've cultivated those relationships. And so there's an investment we all make in time, effort, and friendship. And that payback may not be tomorrow, but it could be in 12 years, as you mentioned. Oh, absolutely. And it's so funny when you said that, I was like, we're not old enough for that, right? <laughs> <laughs> you know, I'm like, wait a minute, my friends are still in high school. What are you yeah. about? I feel like that all the time. I'm like, wait a minute, how old am I? Yeah. But at the same time, um, that investment, I don't think, I don't ever believe in burning any type of bridge. You know, I there'll be issues with clients or this, that, or the other. And, you know, my husband will make a comment or other designers or what have you. Oh, you should know. You know what? I'm not going to, we're going to work through this together. We're going to find a common solution. And sometimes that common solution is to just part ways, but I don't think anybody needs to do it in an angry way because you never know what's going to turn the next corner or come around the bend. And I'm a big believer in what goes around comes around. And I feel like, you know, I'm, I love my clients and I'm very, very, I try so hard to be good to them. And I believe that comes around and they know that and they recognize it. And it's the same with you. People want to work with you because they see the, the integrity and the just effort you put into things and, and it pays off. I really do believe that. Yeah. And I think there's some advantages to the social media because in a very, um, non-confrontational, non-salesy way, you can showcase your product, your brand, your company culture, your people, your process, you know, and it's, it's a way to document and show the stuff. And it, that's why I always counsel people if you're not on social media, make sure you're on there. Right. Because these are Instagram yes. and, and you're really good. I, I watched your story the other day when you were talking about paint colors and you're in the bathroom and you had the tub and the tiles and you're like, yes. look at the different colors of the tile, but you're instructing and teaching. And it's very interesting. You watch, you're engaged where I feel like I'm being taught by Tracy. And I'm like, okay, I can see what goes in her thought process as she's making this selection. Well, it's so funny because I was um, uh, lucky enough to be on a local podcast here for one of our magazines, Home and Design Magazine. And I just had a client call me. She said, oh, I was so nervous about calling an interior designer. You know, I, my, again, my builder's my friend, the whole thing. And she said, I watched you on your podcast. I had been referred to you, but I was too afraid to call you. And I thought, why? You know, and she said, oh, it's such a nerve wracking process. But I saw you on the podcast and I felt much more comfortable. Yeah. And I thought, well, now you know me, you know? So it's just, I think it's a good way to help everybody get to know each other a little bit better. And um, boy, has social media been a super big help for us. It's been great to be able to put out our 
our work and again, like you said, be able to communicate with people, but not have to call every single individual. So it's great. Well, to connect, I mean, look, that's how we're connected, right? You're in DCM and Scottsdale had never met until Instagram and we're connected. And it, it's, yeah. it's funny how those relationships are built there, you know? So where are you finding your lead generation? You know, as, as a business owner, that that's a constant stress that I have, that you have is filling that pipeline, you know, helping our team. So where, where do you find most of your leads coming from? So it is a combination. It is, um, I would say we are 80% referral. So um, whether it is previous clients uh, or having them do another home in another location or they're moving. Um, and then let's see, a lot of our work comes from our builders, architects, mm -hmm. and um, and our contractors, you know, just the, the regular contractors, not necessarily the our custom home builders, but they know that I can speak the language of builder. And that is somewhat of a rarity in the design world where if I can't build it, I'm not going to make you build it. So I'm not going to, you know, I always get the look when I walk on a construction site. Oh boy, here's the five, three blonde, you know, what is she going to make me do? <laughs> and, uh, and then, you know, we start talking the talk and they're like, oh, okay, she can hang, you know? Yeah. So it's a, it's a, a, a thing. And then they realize that. And then they'll refer me, obviously. Oh, well, let's just use Tracy. It makes life easier, you know, the whole thing. But then I would say 20% comes from Instagram. We get a lot of folks on Instagram. Which is amazing how Instagram has changed that. But going back to your example, and I think this is what is important for builders to hear as well, is that, look, we, we expect as builders, not, not that we expect, but it's very advantageous when our designers understand our process. They understand my headaches. They understand yep. the challenge of trades and labor and execution and things we're trying to figure out within budget and client demands. It's so great when the designer understands it, as you mentioned, and you've been on that side, you understand it, you come in and it just puts the builder at ease. But the builder as well needs to do their homework and understand, well, what does the architect deal with, right? What's he dealing with with his engineers and other professionals and the city and the municipality? And then what's my designer dealing with as they're thinking through furniture and layout and they're figuring out their client expectations and then what they're expecting me to do. And the more we can put ourselves on the other side um, of the ledger, understand like a day in the life of Tracy, well, that's gonna make me a better builder because I'm gonna cater a little bit more to my designer. And that's gonna cultivate that relationship because you and I could talk about this all day. If you have good builder, good designer, good architect, and they get along and they communicate, it's gonna be an amazing process for the client. It is when you have that team it is the most synergistic thing I've ever experienced. And I'm telling you, I think that is my favorite part of the job. First of all, I love walking a construction site. I was just on one more than anything in the world and seeing the progress and how it all is coming together. But when you've got that builder and that architect and the designer, either they've worked together before or it's a new relationship and it just click, 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 click. It's like the locks of a vault, you know, it's just amazing. And um, yes, it's so important for me to understand. You've got to know your window color and your roof color so that we can move forward. Next, you know, we got to get our long lead items going, our cabinets, all of those things, so that you aren't sitting there twiddling your thumbs with an entire team of subs that you've got to pay. So I have to understand that. And with the architect, I wouldn't want to have to deal with structural engineering or anything. Right. No thanks. So, or the permitting process, all the runners especially here in DC with all the historic areas, what a pain in the tush. So they're doing an amazing thing, but we all have to understand each other. And if we're understand each other and we are kind, I think life is easier. 
And and I think that's a big part too, because going back to the design thing, you know, I've spoken to builders and they're like, oh, why would I have a designer? Like it makes my life more complicated. That's yeah. someone else I got to appease and keep happy. Yeah. And then I have to execute what they want. And and the funny thing is, you know, well, you, you have someone that's going to make your portfolio better. You're going to have someone that brings value to the client for resale, um, yes. for peace of mind. And so understand the value they bring. It's a win-win. Like you have to do that. And so from your side, Tracy, being that you do 75% of your work with remodels, which means you're working with a lot of stuff, a lot of general contractors. You're doing the big wow. homes. You're working in Naples, Dallas, DC, Scottsdale, yep. San Diego, as you mentioned, all over the country. What separates that good team? What separates that good builder from the others? Like what what are some of the attributes or communication skills that the builder's offering that you're like, this is a good builder and someone I want to work with again? I will tell you, I think the biggest thing, and we've got a job where it is not synergistic right now. And I was just brought in on it. Um, and I love the client. They're absolutely fantastic. But the contractor blames everybody. And I think that word is the biggest word. The, it's like my, ah, please don't blame. Because you know what? I'm going to have your back. But as long as I'm going to have your back, I know you're going to have mine. So if I walk into a meeting and that builder says to me, oh, well, the designer, the designer hasn't gotten me the floor spec, so we can't move forward. Okay, now, wait a minute. Yeah. Why didn't you call me and tell me you needed the floor spec? There's all those kinds of things. So I always get together with the build the builder team to get, you know, right away. I uh, am infamous for my chocolate chip cookies. I always take cookies to the job sites. I bake cookies. I stand there with the, you know, the architect, the foreman on the job and the site super, and we have a cookie (laughs) (laughs) and talk it all through. Now, listen, if this person, and once we sort of know each other and understand each other's picadillos, as long as there's no blaming, I think we're fine. And I think that is where it makes a, a good team into a great team. Because when you start pointing fingers, boy, does that energy of that job site just tank. Well, not, not only the energy, but I've seen it where now what you're doing is you're, you're almost cornering somebody who's going to fight for themselves too. And so you're putting, okay, well, if that's, you know, if you're not going to defend me or have my back, then, you know, everyone's now fighting for themselves, which is going to hurt the client. And it's funny because we've been so big on culture and communication and our designers and architects, that's our loyalty. You know, clients are, are everything, right? But clients come and go like, they do. And if we don't have our design team and architect team in place and they're not good and our trade partners, like we're only as good as they are. So at the end Absolutely. of the day, we can only perform. And we had an instance where, um, not to throw my team under the bus, but it was a small thing. We, you know, our field team had a meeting with the client. They failed to let the designer know with enough time to be there. The designer could not make that appointment justifiable because they only had 48 hours notice. And then the client was had some questions at the walk and says, why is my de- designer's not here? And then my team said, well, the designer was asked, but they couldn't make it. And you're like, no, like, you know, just something that small. You know, it's not like yeah. they're trying to be malicious and they're not. But now the designer's upset and it's, you know, it's these little things and, and you hit the nail on the head, it's blame. How can we communicate better to say we should have been more prepared? You know, we didn't give enough time. Like we should have had that and fall on the sword and we, and we move forward. Because really, it did come on us as the GC. Yeah, and it does. I mean, I, I think about it. I've got one right now that we have um, an athlete that I just adore, and he has moved his mom here. 
and we're working on, but I was told that the house uh, was purchased right before Christmas and the house was move and ready. <laughs> yeah. Well, we are literally getting this house back to the studs, Brad. So oh. knowing and, you know, and I had to get a materials list together in three days. I mean, it was just, you know, one of those types of things. I've got my mom yelling at me about Christmas, you know, all those sort of things. And, but at the same time, they're dealing with management people, of course, you know, everybody's got there. So we've got three or four layers of people. And I just talked to the client about 15 minutes before we started our, our talk. And she said, I'm not getting any of the emails. So after we, you and I finish here, I'm going to send an email with everybody and make sure everybody's up to date because those types of small communication holes, just like you were talking with your team, if those can, if those rip into, mm-hmm. you know, big craters, it's really tough to recover. It is tough, you know, and I, and I had to call the owner of the design firm and we spoke her and I, and we worked it out and we're in good terms now, but you know, the it's, it's not that you can't fix some of those things, but you have to stop it before it becomes yes. a blame game. And, exactly. and and which is tough. And I think that's an important thing as a business owner is looking at the end goal, right? Looking at the big picture, not worrying about the little things because projects come and go and some of them we lose. Like we're lost leaders. We didn't do so great. But right. it doesn't mean that we can't take that information and learn from it and apply that to the next one. You got it. Exactly. So the, the word blame is the one that I would say makes a good team a great team as long as that that word is crossed out. And I and I would imagine for you that when, as you alluded to with your client, that when the house is ready by the contractor for furniture day, that we're actually ready and we don't have fifteen trucks of subs in the house, trying to <laughs> trying to do cabinet, cabinet touch ups and paint as you're moving in sofas. I know. I think about it. I had to have a long conversation with one of my favorite contractor builders here, and he is just near and dear to my heart, 18,000 square feet. And they had not even started punch, not even started it. Client had to move in, you know, had to move in. And I said, I said, I sent him a little note and I said, you're going to sign this. I love you to death. But if you spill paint on my $40,000 Ushak, I'm going to be really upset. So we had an understanding and, um, but we were moving in sofas when they were painting the the staircases and doing all that stuff. So, but stuff happens. Mm -hmm. He was happy enough to do it. We had an understanding and there was only one can of paint kicked over. Oh, that's pretty good. Only one. (laughs) I know. Right. Yeah. So we did pretty well. Yeah. Cause the hard thing is, as a builder, it's like you put this $30,000 rug down and then you have your drywall standing over the rug. Right. So it's like, just those little things that you're trying to or knock you out. Or you got somebody with Minwax stain. And oh. You're like, oh, you know, yeah, all that stuff. I get it. I mean, but it is what it is. You cannot prevent. The guys need to work. And the one thing that I always have to tell my clients, you're moving in, into one of these big dog houses, expect six months of men in your house every day because you your dampers aren't right. Your um, hot water is cooler here and it's just expect people to be in your house every day. It just is what it is. Do not get frustrated. Know that everybody's here to help. And um, and there's a lot of uh, cajoling and talking and, and all of that. But you got to understand that we actually put that in our contracts to expect that. And that the, even with our end, there are going to be seams that come apart. There are going to be carpets that curl. There are going to be you know chairs that the little foot might fall off of. I'm going to take care of it. But it's going to happen. It's not possible to have everything perfect immediately. You know, I think in closing, I think that's the mo- one of the most valuable things you mentioned and goes back to the, the 
continuance of the expectations that you've driven home the whole time, Tracy, is, you know, putting it in your contract because the reality is on a 10,000 square foot home, yes, you're going to have, you know, misters that may be plugged and need to be adjusted and propane heaters that aren't kicking on or the TV or as you mentioned, just there's so many components, there's millions of components and there's a lot of money vested that there may be times where you have to come and service this, but be patient and understanding and if I'm clear about that up front in my sales process and then I'm clear about it on the back end of my contract, well, the client now understands where we're coming from. Right. And it's not as much of a shock. And when you've got painters outside your bathroom <laughs> and you're getting a shower in the morning and you're like, Hey, what you doing here? You know, it's a little bit easier to take. <laughs> yeah, it is. Well, that's super yeah. viable, Tracy. And I, I know you're super busy and with your schedule, I can't thank you enough for making time to come on today. Oh, what a treat. Thank you so very much for having me. And where can our listeners find you? So we are at Instagram on our handle is at Tracy and it's spelled T-R-A-C-Y Morris, M-O-R-R-I-S design. So Tracy Morris design, that's our handle. And then you can always find me at our website, tracymorrisdesign.com and email me right off the website and we'll, you can easily get in touch with us. Well, Tracy, you're amazing. Thank you so much again. Oh my gosh. Thanks, Brad. Really awesome. So thank you all for tuning into the podcast today. And just as a recap, if you check the show notes they're just going to have all the links for the topics that we discuss. And also one of our favorite features now is the chapters that go through the conversation. So if there's certain topics you want to revisit or listen to, they're outlined by the time that we discuss those. And again, we can't thank you enough for all of your support. Please make sure and download our podcast, subscribe, give us a five-star rating and review wherever you download your podcast.